Welcome, welcome, welcome to Thirsty for Knowledge Podcast. I'm James Evers. And I'm Justin. And I'm Seth Tardiff. And we're your hosts. Wait, I didn't tip my last name. Oh, They're not going to know who I am. Oh, my God. All right, what's your last name? Mayhew. And what's your middle name? Paul. And what's your nickname? Ham. All right, they got it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On episode one, the history of beer. Yeah, yeah. So this is the first episode of the Thirst for Knowledge podcast. And as Mr. James Evers said, we will be discussing some of the history of beer. Mm. Yeah. Why it's so delicious. <laughs> So stick around at the end of this podcast. We do have some outro notes, just quick updates after running through this podcast, and we hope you enjoy. Yes. Thank you all for listening. Today with uh, cow blood. Oh, bone broth, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I did have some bone broth uh, before the podcast, actually. All right, so uh, let's get let's run it, man. Let's uh, let's beer. We're drinking beer. Beer's good. So episode one, the uh, the the history the the history of beer part one. Ooh, yeah. We'll try the best we can. We don't know much about it, but we'll. uh, what uh? What's what's all about beer? What is it? Is it's it's delicious? <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Let me ask. What was? I'm gonna pass this question on the table. What okay. was your? What was your first experience with beer? And what was your first experience with craft beer? Craft can you, beer. Can you remember both? Oh, I can remember my first beer experience. I remember my first beer. <laughs> um, my first beer was a voluntary I was walking home from school when I was like god <clears throat> like 14 and I'd always cut through the woods to get home quicker and in the time they were building all these fucking they're building all these new houses and a construction worker left a six pack of Budweiser at the construction site so I snatched those up <laughs> and I hit them in a tree near my house and then I brought one. I snuck it back home and brought it into my room. And it was, like, warm. It was, like, a warm, who knows how long it's been sitting in the sun. And, like, I cracked it and took one sip. And I was, like, it blew my mind how nasty it was. I was, like, people drink this shit? Oh, God. It was so disgusting. And then even after that, you know, a year or two later, then I, I, all my friends were, like, we were trying to get beer because it was cool to drink, and we were like almost forcing beer down our throats, pretending that we liked it. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, oh, yeah. oh no, dude, this is so good. <clears throat> and we all knew the same thing. No, it was disgusting. We all were just like trying to look cool in front of each other, trying to drink beer. Mm-hmm. And then you know, it was always like the lightest, wateriest beer we'd always get, like Keystone Light. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to go back and drink one of those beers now, and see how like. How really flavorless and yeah. water they are. <laughs> what are those, Pilsners? Uh, yeah, so, yeah. We, so weird, man. Aren't those just really simple beers, though, that aren't supposed to be like... Well, some of those, be- like lagers, there's plenty of great lagers and Pilsners out there, but those really cheap, low-end, mass-produced ones... There's actually even some of those mass-produced ones that are pretty solid. 
but those you know the cheapest of the cheap that we were drinking back in the yeah. day man like so gross yeah tastes like the can it was brewed in <laughs> <laughs> yeah my first experience with beer was so my father he used to drink he was a from what i recall he was a coors light guy mm. coors light coors light and i remember I don't know if he offered it to me or if I snuck a sip. Maybe he like put the can on the table and went to like take a piss, and I like took a swig of it. But I just remember same reaction. Like, what man? This is just nasty. This is just vile stuff. (laughs) And then of course, you know, as time progresses, you know, in high school, it becomes the cooler thing to uh, you know have a couple cold billies, Mm -hmm. hanging out with the friends on the weekend. I rem- the first my first encounter with craft beer was a Sam Adams Boston Lager. Mm, yeah, it was given to uh, us from a friend, and it was like in a m- mixture, a mixed bag of like Bud Lights, and there was like one Sam Adams in there. Mm-hmm. I cracked it, took a swig, and I just thought again. Just nasty. like nasty, <laughs> hard to I drink. I was like, I prefer the Bud Light, man. This is just horrible stuff. Yeah, it's like an acquired taste, you know. And you have to like wean yourself into heavier and heavier beers. Even when like the IPA movement came around, and like like those really hoppy, hoppy beers, you the know, super bitter the ones. Super bitter. Well, ones. Back in the day, there was like a bitter arms race that was happening for sure, and yeah. it wasn't about flavor. It was just about how, how bitter. bitter. Was yeah. it about the IBUs? Yeah, the, the international like the bitterness you are, units. You know, to show how yeah. manly you are to drink it. Yeah. And, like, I I was like, I can't do it. It's too much, you know? It's too mm-hmm. much on your palate. Yeah. And, like, you almost have to, like, go light and light and light and then keep going up until you hit. But, like, there was always that competition. Like, yo, I got this beer. And it's like, you know, what was that? Um, what is that hoppy beer from Vermont that's, like, the, the super popular, the super popular one, one. Heady yeah. Topper, Heady yeah. Topper, yeah. yeah. And that came out. That was so hot, <laughs> you know. <laughs> or like Stone IPAs. Yeah. Stones were like crazy. <clears throat> Hop Devil and all that. I was like, well, well, Hop Devil Hop was victory. Uh, that was victory. victory. Yeah. But Stone, they were doing Stone. like Ruination, which was over 100 IBUs. They had Arrogant Bastard, which is more like a barley wine, but still high up there. Um, yeah, yeah. There was all those crazy. Well, I mean, you're not just gonna go directly to black coffee. I mean, right. you, you you gotta work your way towards towards it. Yeah. You know, right? That Same makes thing sense. In the, in the craft beer scene, I mean, I've I've visually have seen. I mean, not just my evolution of the craft beer, but even just Seth and his palate change over time, just mm. from us sitting around. You know, we grab a mixed bag, a mix six or a mix twelve on the weekends, and. As every weekend progressed forward, the beers were changing, our palates were changing, and what we could tolerate was was changing. And you know, like I said, you do have to build up to it for sure. And it, I don't know if it's necessarily tolerate or build up to it, but I think the whole you when you're tasting something new, obviously it's like, ah, oh, you know, what am I putting inside my mouth right now? You you have no reference point for it. You know, like the first time you had an IPA and it was really bitter. It's like you had nothing really to compare it to. That's yeah. true. You know, so you're building all these frames of references and you're kind of learning, what do I like? What do I enjoy? 
you know, and you can't find out. It's like when you're a little kid and your mom's trying to give you new foods and different things. Sometimes you just don't like them because it's this new new thing that's inside your mouth right now you know <laughs> like <Hey-o. laughs> I don't like this it's warm <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a warm pepper yeah. or something but uh, yeah so as you try all these different beers you're starting to like build this like library or dictionary of different flavors and things and the more you have them the more you kind of see oh i like this word or this book or whatever and then you know you gravitate towards what you like and also as you get older your palate changes so you're adapting to that and when a lot of us were getting into craft beers we our bodies are still growing right we're early 20s you're still you know your body's still developing and you're trying to learn you, you you're brain's getting more smarter you know <laughs> yeah right so there's a lot of things that you're dealing with i mean this is kind of going deep but yeah you're i don't know and you don't think about all those things when you're you're just like oh i want to get beer i want to you know get a little buzz on or like you know have a good time but um it's not until you like look back on that and think about like oh wow this is weird you know yeah i remember like my whole high school drinking career was mostly like Keystone Ice. And then, I mean, sometimes oh like a brave soul would go get like a six pack of Sam Adams or something and like force it down their throat. But then after a while, you know, it's an acquired taste. You force yourself to drink it so long you start to enjoy it. And then you start to get brave. <laughs> then you start to get brave and you start, you know, trying different beers and, you know, developing that palate that you have now, mm. you know. I'm curious to see my 23 and me and seeing my this whole cilantro thing. It says if you like cilantro or not. Oh, if you're genetically predisposed yeah, it's to like a, yeah, and it's like missing, uh, how people taste it differently and like dude, that's probably the same way with beer too, you know? People just have different like per- personally, I don't like citra hop. I think it's too strong and bitter for me. But I like a uh, galaxy hop, you know, the sweet. Well, bitterness is different than, than like hops. all the all the flavor comp there's hops are made out of so many more things um than just alpha acids right you know do, do tell seth <laughs> so i'm not an expert what about the beta acids uh, nobody cares about beta acids. <laughs> the char- the, what about the charlie acids no but there, there's all kinds of different um flavor components and oils like all the different hop oils and uh, there's charts that essentially will break down what each hop type has of all the different components of these acids uh, I mean, in these oils and each one of those oils has its own different like flavor like profiles associated with it so um bitterness is just what comes from isomerized alpha acids okay mm. so that's like that really bitter it's it's weird when you talk about hops because people will say oh i don't like this beer it's too hoppy but what do you mean by too hoppy? Do you mean it's too bitter? Or do you not like that flavor compound in it? Or do you not like mm. that aroma? So why don't I like citra hops? You probably just don't like the... Well, <clears throat> it's probably a couple things. You probably... You might just not like those flavors the, of citra. That they present. Or there's so many places using citra hops now because they got so popular. And there's... Which, if there's so many places that are 
using citra hops, there's a chance that there are a lot of them that are brewing bad beers that have citra hops, and they're just putting citra on their package to say, hey, we're using this like really cool popular hop, come drink this beer. Gotcha. And then you're drinking a, a beer that like it might not even taste like citra hop. It could be oxidized. They don't know what they're doing. It could be that they use some citra hops, and, and that's another thing too, is that <clears throat> marketing and packaging, like, oh, we put citra hops in it, sure. But there could be a bunch of other hops in there too, and they're not advertising those on their package. But since Citra is popular, they'll put that on their package. Oh, it's got Citra hops in it. Mm. But I don't know. You would have to like, you know, brew a single hop Citra from a a really good brewery. You know, drink one from a really good brewery and see if that if it's that or if it's all that other stuff. Yeah, I do know uh, a brewery that brews a an award winning Citra. Single hop beer. It's uh, from Dynamic Brewing Company. Oh, what's that? <laughs> it won the what twenty fifteen uh, beer competition <laughs> at the Eagles Lodge in Lemonster, no Massachusetts. Okay. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean I've had like uh, night shifts, like one hop this time. Yeah, the citron. And one. I've had the citron one, and then I've had the mosaic one. Yeah, and I like the mosaic one a lot yeah. better than yeah. The you probably one. just don't like the flavors that are in citra. Yeah, because like I think on average, you you mentioned you like Galaxy. I think Galaxy typically has higher alpha acids than um, uh, than Citra does. Yeah. So it's it's not necessarily that that bitterness, bitterness that you don't like, but it's just the flavors of Citra. You so know? the yeah. higher percentage of alpha acids, the more bitter the beer, or is it more in terms of? It depends on how it's used. So how would you how would, how do you use hops in a beer in the brewing process? You boil those things. That's one way, you know. There, there was this whole craze. I don't, I don't remember how long ago it was, but people were putting hops at every different part of the brewing process. Yeah, and I remember that. that you, they could say, "Oh, we put hops in the mash. We put it in the the water. We put it in when hops was like the thing in the boil. We put it in the whirlpool. We dry hop it. We second dry hop it. All this stuff, but." For the most part, the hops are used at the beginning of the boil, the end of the boil, <laughs> and in the dry hop. Do you guys remember on Superbad when he's at the when he's at the friggin' liquor store and he's like, Oh, have you had this beer? I heard it has more hops in it. Nickelodeon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was like a thing. People were like, Oh, there's more hops in this yeah. one. Like hops were the cool I mean, thing. Yeah, beer. what is what does that mean, more hops? Like what what point, you know? Hey, isn't Miller Lite triple hopped? I don't know what that means. I, I, it's I don't, three I don't know what times. It means. Yeah, they drop three single hops in the middle. <laughs> beep beep beep. Yeah. So basically, what you're saying is it one hops. I mean, it, it is a complex ingredient. Depending on yeah. how you use it, whether yeah. it's in the boil, whether it's in the match, whether it's in the secondary, whatever. Yeah. It adds to an effect, whether that's aroma, mm-hmm. whether that's flavor, bitterness. It all depends on how you use it. So. Yeah. And that 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 kind of what makes sort of IPAs this more ideal style of beer to brew from craft brewers because the amount of combinations, what you can do with it. I mean, you can use the three of the same hops, but use them in different types of the boil and amounts and develop a different type of different flavor of beer. Correct? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the other thing too is like. It's not hops get a lot like I don't I think I was talking to somebody about this the other day, but I was saying like hops can be like 
the, the quarterback or the receiver. You know, they get all the glory, right? Like, but nobody's talking about the offensive line or, you the, know, the right. grain back. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's really all these things coming together that because you can have that same beer, but the water profile will affect the way that the hop bitterness um, comes across the, the, the malt like sweetness, the residual sweetness will play like with how bitter the beer, if you have more residual sweetness, it's going to appear less bitter. If you have less residual sweetness, it's going to appear more bitter because it's not balanced out. What do you mean by water profile? Okay. Mm. <laughs> so water so crazy. So much stuff. I know there's so many things. I remember beer. what <laughs> happened to like way, way back when they're just like four ingredients. It was like hops, like grain and then like whatever the sugar profile would be or whatever you know well, like wherever you got your sugars from like your grains or like rice and then it was like yeast and water well and yeah I now mean, everything is so dissected each part of the ingredient is like dissected its own realm mm. of things you know like before it was just like add water add your sugar and add your hops for flavor and now it's just like water and your pHs and your minerals yeah. in the water and then like your hops and the whole breakdown of hops and then like millions and millions of different kinds of grains and other whatever fermentables you can use and then the yeast strains well it's crazy now wasn't yeah. beer i mean <clears throat> if we go back to the ancient greek days if we go back to the ancient egyptian days i mean beer was drank more out of a necessity than than the flavor combinations. I mean, there were no craft beer snobs back in ancient no, Egypt. right. I think it was more like an accident, right? Like, it accidentally fermented. Like, they're making bread, and then their bread juice got fermented, or their grains got fermented, and then they made this, like, soupy, watery mess. And they drank it, and it tasted good, and it actually also got them drunk as fuck, so... <laughs> brought the tribe together. Yeah. I read up a little bit very little bit about way back when mm -hmm. and um i saw this thing about monkeys monkeys <laughs> and um how they used to get like the fruit from the bottom of the tree that like fell and they got it fermented and they ate the fruit and then you know they got drunk off of it so then they started eating more of it because it made them feel good you know and then like they were attracted to that fruit because it got them drunk and they like learn to smell what ethanol ethanol releases like a sweetness mm -hmm. and it attracted those monkeys to you know eat it you know and they liked it and it's almost like a symbiotic bullshit where like i don't know but basically what i read was like it made the monkeys come off the trees and then come down to ground and evolve into us. <laughs> it's all about the alcohol, baby. That sounds like the stoned ape theory. <clears throat> yeah. Terrence McKenna. Yeah. That's more with psychedelic mushrooms than alcohol. <laughs> maybe it was just drugs and alcohol. Maybe maybe the booze got them down to the ground. And, and then, then once they were there, they found the mushrooms. And then yeah. it takes off from there. And then we party. <laughs> but like way back, like I think the Asians... Like the for the first people to make alcohol and it was like rice and honey and fruit, and that was like like nine thousand years ago, which is crazy long. That was like before the Jesus. Whole, that it was, was definitely way, before Jesus. That was nine thousand. Mm -hmm. That was mm -hmm. seven thousand years before Jesus, <laughs> our Lord and Savior. Yeah. <laughs> no, 
Yeah. And then I don't I don't even know when beer started, but I think it was you know, it was more like the rice rice wine almost, like rice mixture of fruit and honey. And then like uh and then, you know, they had the grain and then they made the beer with the grain. It was like grain and water and then it naturally fermented just like everything else then. And um yeah, cuz they didn't even know back in the day about yeast and that kind no, of thing. Like, it was like more of an accident. Yeah. Was it a yeah. wild yeast? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean every, every, everything well, was yeah, wild. Everything I mean, was wild, right? <laughs> sure. Back in the day. You know, we we like open fermented like yeast like dropped on in and then it just sort of kind of Yeah. Yeah. Cuz like yeast is a, it's all out there and everything. Like right. all the all the grain just has you know, wild yeast on it. Um, yeah, they said that people became um, less nomadic and more, you know, you know, hunter-gatherer, settling-type people because of beer and because of, because of bread and learning to, you know, they liked beer so much that they would rather stay in one spot and grow the grain to make beer and alcohol. And it kind of um, started the whole hunter-gathering slash, I don't know, settling. What is that mm. shit called? In the beginning of agriculture, <laughs> agriculture and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Civilization yeah. was formed. What's, that? What's like the crazy old first settlement they found in like Iran? It was like a uh, 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 shit, I know the word. Go, what is Gobekli it? Tepe. Gobekli Tepe. <laughs> yeah, that's like they where they found like the first beer. Or f- signs of the first beer, besides hmm. the Asian rice wine honey thing. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not really too versed on, like, the ancient history of beer and how all no, that stuff it. started. I, I never, I don't know why, but I haven't really looked into it. I know uh, Dogfish was looking into these really old recipes, and they came up with some stuff that would have been, like, in the neighborhood of something that might have been brewed years ago. But, but like crazy higher quality. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you gotta like get an old bucket made out of wood and oh throw it in God. your backyard <laughs> and put some shitty grain in there and just let it naturally ferment yeah. and then drink that and that's probably what it tasted like. Yeah, I'm not really down to drink what they were drinking at Game of Thrones times. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but the whole like boiling when they started boiling the water to like extract hops flavorings out of it and the grain and getting the sugary water from the grain, you know that was. That was like they drank that because it didn't make them sick, you know? You drink like a, some water out of a lake, you'd get sick. And then you drink the beer for some reason and you wouldn't get sick. And well, it's because of boiling. And they didn't know that boiling would kill the bacteria in the water. Well, yeah, boiling's part of it, but then also the lower pH. Oh. So it's more acidic. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty stable environment, which means that it's less likely for any bacteria... Or, you know, weird stuff to grow in there that's going to give you some kind of infection. Gotcha. Goddamn, man. I read something, the first whiskey unrelated to beer. Mm. But when they were learning how to make, they were uh, distilling. They started distilling and learning how to, like, extract chemicals and whatever out of water. Ireland made the first whiskey in, like, 1400s by, you know making a still and distilling that so that was cool i read that shit (laughs) i was like what and you know what's funny i thought liquor was around way before that like you know i thought like booze existed before 1400s for some reason what is is that when it started 1400s 
that was like, like the first distilled like, alcohol yeah. was in the 1400s. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that kind of makes sense, right? Because you have to build an That requires app- a process. It's yeah. a whole apparatus of things that you need to put together to... So before that, they were just drinking beer and wine and yeah. any other version of that. Mead. Right. Yeah. yeah. I guess mead, if you got strong enough, you know, if you put, cause I mean, it's with honey and honey's like pure sugar. Yeah. So you got a really high sugar content. Yeah. So maybe you could make a really strong mead, which is close to liquor, but that's, I mean, similar with grapes too. Yeah. You know, man. Hmm. Interesting. But imagine making liquor and it's like pure magic from whatever the beer's made out of. Oh my God. (laughs) This is crazy. One shot gets 19 friggin' beers. (laughs) So fast forward, I mean, from ancient times and here we are drinking complex beverages. (laughs) Brewed with science. Yeah. Many years of science. I think, so um, to prepare for this episode... We all kind of did a lot of re- I wouldn't say a lot of research. Probably a few oh, hours. Very little. Yeah. Prob- probably a few <laughs> a few hours each at most. Um, and I was diving into some stuff. Uh, it kept going down weird rabbit holes. But one interesting tidbit I guess I found was that the um, the first breweries in America um, were started in 1632. In America. In America. Yeah, so that's like that's colonial that's times. Like the day baby. they came here, they just started building, <laughs> dude. Yeah, so um, from what I found, uh, the first brewery in the U.S. was opened in 1632 by Dutch East India Company hmm. in Manhattan, near New York. Yeah, which is pretty wild. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I I never knew that before, uh, so I guess that that's kind of interesting. Um, but it wasn't until a couple hundred years later where you really started to see, um, you know, a bunch of breweries. I, I, I tried to find out, like, when the whole surge happened. Like, when did uh, when did you start having all these breweries, brew pubs, like local inns that had brewed yeah. their own beer, all that kind of thing. And um, <clears throat> I was digging around the, uh, the Brewers Association website, looking at different statistics. And I found the earliest record that they have of a number of breweries in the U.S. was in 1873, and there was over 4,000 breweries at that time. That's a shit ton. Which is a ton, right? Yeah. Like, I I, I didn't dig deep into 4, it. 4,000? Yeah, over 4,000 breweries in 1873. That was means that bef- like, when was the gold rush? Like, the 1870s, right? I think it was in that neighborhood. So that was, like, before everyone went to California. So that was like before they discovered that shit, right? Like, how far was the gold rush? <laughs> well, Dude, was that I don't know. Like- That's di- <laughs> We're going down a whole different road now, man. Yeah. Like, before you start that yeah. road, yeah, I found out that the reason why we settled in the New England area yeah. was because, you know, making beer was a popular way, you know, making beer, beer stored well compared yeah. to water yep. so they stored it in wooden barrels like wine too so that allowed them to travel by ship you know a lot easier because they could store li- like beer for a long time and they could drink it and that was like the most commonly drunk thing mm-hmm. on the ship was beer and wine or whatever and uh the reason why we went to new england instead of like virginia which was the goal mm. was because the rations were going getting low 
the beer rations were getting low and they needed enough beer to get back to England. And it was closer? So it was closer to drop them off in like Plymouth, uh, like Plymouth yeah. Rock, than yeah. it was to go down like another like, you know, 20 days down to Virginia or however long it took. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they dropped them off there instead and fucking hightailed it out with the rest of the beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. But sorry, keep going. Yeah, so <clears throat> so like, like I was saying, um, 1873, you've got over 4,000 breweries in America. And by 1919, which is, what, almost 50 years later, you've only got 669 breweries. Whoa. So it dropped. It dropped a lot. What shit ton. happened? I, I, I'm not really sure, but I would have to imagine that it was, uh, well, so 1919, you've got um, 669. The next year is when Prohibition starts, right? So um, there was this whole. Th- this is so one. Prohibition of- was 1920. 1920 to 1933. Okay. Was prohibition. It was prohibition in the United States of America. Beer was illegal. Yes. Be- so everything. It was the sale, import, export, manufacturing of uh, alcohol, right? Y- yeah, it was pretty much intoxicating beverages. That was the first one. There was like two acts. One of them was the Volstead Act. I forget which the second act was. These were like all compounded with the 18th Amendment, which started prohibition. But the first, so they did that first act is intoxicating beverages, but that didn't include beer that was like less than 4%. (laughs) So they had to put another act in and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we mean everything that has alcohol in it. God. Yeah. Why the, why did they even do that? Was it like a whole like money making thing reason? So who knows if there's some weird conspiracies surrounding it or whatever. But um, one rabbit hole that I started <laughs> to go down that I didn't that I stopped once I got uh, to deep. a decent thing was um, this whole thing called the temperance movement. And that was like one of the big they were like there was this whole thing called the temperance society and um, they did a bunch of other stuff. But one of their big things was they voluntarily um didn't drink alcohol basically they thought that you're a better person if you don't drink alcohol that kind of stuff so they would spread that word like oh you should you know abstain from drinking alcohol take in a bunch of people took pledges saying that they don't yeah it was a whole thing dude this was start so the whole temperance movement was started in boston in like the early 1800s which is crazy but it got really popular over like the next 90 years and they were doing some good stuff too. I started reading about it. Like they were against s- slavery. They were against. They were for like um, like women's right. like rights and all that stuff. So there was some oh, really that's good. There yeah. was some really good stuff in there. But they were really against alcohol too. And it, as they got more and more followers, like it went from a couple thousand people to over millions of people. Jeez. And they were all like, "Yeah, we all signed this pledge, and we want to make it illegal in the U.S." And then that's pretty much what led to the 18th amendment which was you know the whole prohibition thing which didn't well, work I out. Mean, didn't really work <laughs> out because there was all sorts of crime and stuff that we dude we should definitely do a whole podcast on just prohibition because Ooh. there is all sorts of wild things that yeah. happen during prohibition i know i've um all those flappers Flapping around, <laughs> yeah. drinking the, the speakeasy stuff, all the the weird bootlegging and illegal imports, the, and then the other side of it too, which is what? So if there was six hundred and sixty nine breweries the year 
before prohibition, okay? And then prohibition hits, what happens to all those companies, right? right? What happens to all those breweries? Because you know that like the oldest brewery in America, Yingling, they existed before prohibition. They still exist today. So what were they doing? Breaking goddamn law. (laughs) No, they weren't brewing beer during that time. So what were those companies doing? What was Anheuser-Busch doing, which they started before prohibition? What were they doing? That would be a good podcast for sure. And, and then there's the other stuff. What about all the companies that manufactured the fermentation vessels and that manufactured the test equipment for beer, the carbonation testing equipment and all that stuff? What did those companies do during Prohibition? shut down. So some of them did, but some of them switched their focus to other things. Yeah. So that, I mean, I know a little bit about some of that stuff, but that would definitely be a whole crazy, like, rabbit hole to go down for sure. Yeah. Or should we be abstinent that, should we not drink alcohol during that podcast <laughs> at all because it's prohibited? Prohibited? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no illegal. We'll have to drink moonshine. <clears throat> well, yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to drink bootleg alcohol. It was alcohol during that podcast. I like it. Today I'm drinking pure liquor, 100% alcohol. Five more minutes. I'll be hammered. <laughs> Yeah, so, that'd be cool. Oh, I mean, how much gang violence probably started after that too? You all know? sorts of stuff, man. It's crazy. Yeah, and that—that's where you, the mob, all that crap. Yeah, you know, there's so many interesting things that happened during the, what was it, 1920 to 1933. Ooh. Like, yeah, when you make things illegal, it starts to get profitable because it's harder to get. Yeah, you know? it's a harder commodity, and people want it. And then how they also got rid of like the drugs during that time as well. Then never brought that back. They only brought back the alcohol. Like, yeah, there's there's a whole there's a whole wealth of you know topics to be so i didn't i didn't go too deep on that but that's basically yeah prohibition happened and it and it sucked but it went from <laughs> 6000 to 600 yeah over it was 4000 oh 4000 yeah so the peak the oldest number i could find was 1873 over 4000 right before prohibition you got a little over 600 and then prohibition hits you have zero obviously 1873 huh what happened in yeah. the 1870s? Was there a war? No. I don't know. I'm not a huge history buff. Oh, boy. When was the yeah. uh, American Indian War? I don't know, man. I think when it's, was the no, Hundred the, Year War? When was oh the my King God. Philip's War? <laughs> when was the War of 1812? <laughs> ah, shit. <laughs> yeah. King Philip's War was like uh, the 1600s. And we, no, no, no. I don't know. I'm not going to say shit because I don't know shit. So, so I'll... I'll continue on i guess with a little bit more of like the modern history of breweries and beer in the united states anyways outside of the united states that's probably a whole nother there's thing, just so much right? stuff about beer yeah well i mean you go to the you know old europe i mean a lot of those england um well where, where belgium, belgium germany like belgium like, and germany are huge exa- like yes. deep histories of beer drinking yep yeah i mean didn't like Corona was started by a German dude who moved to Mexico, right? I think so. That might be correct. I think it is. But I'm not that 100% is, on that. That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Ooh. now Corona is owned by this like conglomerate called Constellation Brands, which also owns Russia? a bunch of other stuff, which maybe. Which I, is I don't owned know. by China, which is owned by Russia, yeah. which is secretly owned by the United States. Very, very possible. <laughs> so what else did you find out? Um... Okay, so now we're after Prohibition. So 21st Amendment rolls around, and we're like, 
yeah, uh, by we don't need prohibition anymore. Let's that shit's drink, done. Let's drink beer let's again. Get drunk. Yeah. So, um, 1933, everybody's like, all right, breweries are back. So we get over 300 breweries, like the year of prohibition. It's pretty crazy. Um, and then, like from right after prohibition up until like. Um, I don't know, like 40 or 50 years ago. I'll give you that little history. So 10 years-ish after um, Prohibition, 1941, you get the most breweries there were until the most recent craft boom, which was like 857, okay? So we're not like approaching that 4,000 number that we had. But so from 1941, you've got 857. 1979... 90. Okay. What? So between 1941 and 1979, that's when big beer was built. That was like the rise of Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors and all that stuff and all these like compounding of companies, buying, shutting down, like all the small breweries, buying other brands, all that stuff happened between that period. And that was the whole rise of the, the big the, beer corporation, the, the big beer corporations, exactly. So we went, and that that's the least amount of breweries there were in the U.S. Besides Prohibition, when there were zero, essentially. Well, I mean, think about it. Within those, what forty years, you had World War Two, you had the Korean War, you had Vietnam. I mean, that's true. There was a lot of stuff happening. Oh yeah, going on like just within our economy. Yep. I mean. People were just being, you know, just shipped off to war. I mean... Were they probably shipping beers to war, too, right? Or no? I'm, I'm sure that was part of it, yeah. Maybe. Hmm. I mean, I had beer in Iraq, but it was uh, Coors N.A. Mm. <laughs> what? They didn't put the alcohol in oh, it? Oh, God, no. Not we, allowed we, got, drink? we were allowed one beer. One you know N.A. beer? <laughs> no, no, no. One, one Bud Light on, what was it, um, the Marine Corps birthday. Wow. Marine Corps birthday, they would ship out a, a, exactly one beer per Marine to each outpost, and we had one. So Damn. did you guys like fast and like do a bunch of like you know push ups and you like guys didn't PT eat for like nine days like, right shotgun before. that thing? <laughs> In hindsight, that probably would have been a good idea. Well, you should have done right. You should have took all that beer and then you should have built a still and made liquor out of it and then. Do the lottery, and then one per like unit would get a bottle of liquor, Ooh. beer liquor. <laughs> well, we did get booze, but it was in packages. Um, it ultimately led to uh, a loss of rank and all this other stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah, fun. Um, oh, people would like ship you guys booze. Totally got ship faced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. That's probably like, so the best they, gift you um, could get. Right. I had a buddy who, um, his wife or girlfriend at the time, I don't know, one of them. Um, Ship like she she took a a <clears throat> vitamin water bottle, one of the dark ones. I think it was like XXX or like one of oh, those yeah. the dark colored ones. Yeah, and she filled it with a uh, a dark rum, and she put the cap back on, and then she sealed the cap with like duct tape, you know, to make it more quote unquote spill proof. Mm. Yeah, and we got it shipped out to us, got it cracked it open, and just partied. Oh hard <laughs> very, very hard oh so you God. have to go through like those types of things to get booze out there yeah, like yeah. I, meanwhile I, meanwhile i will say meanwhile like you got like top generals like with just big 
bottles of like, like whiskey the finest and scotches. scotches. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they were just in their office drinking oh, that. Fuck yeah, yeah. Oh, those bitches. Yeah. But like for you guys out in the shit, you would have to like get them delivered in like they wouldn't go through your boxes though, right? No, no, no. But no. you, but for your safety, you better be caught with like a vitamin water than like a handle of liquor, right? Or like if I say that I was gonna send you booze, right? And you're sure, in like sure. you're in the sandbox. <laughs> like I couldn't just like put a, bo- a handle of Mr. Boston's in a box oh, and God, like no, no. And like here you go, Justin. <laughs> I mean, uh, you kind of wish it. I knew you then. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I got a random letter. You don't know me yet, <laughs> but you're gonna appreciate this. <laughs> but um. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I forgot how we got that, it. Well, that so, sounds like a lucrative uh, job opportunity. You know, ooh. sending booze, like secretive. Could have a whole website. Are you in the sandbox? Are you thirsty? <laughs> Come on down to James' vitamin water shop. Get all your vitamin needs. <laughs> and just like, just like the cheapest vodkas and whiskeys, and I'd send them out to you guys. Oh, we'd pay top dollar, man. Top yeah. dollar, yeah. See? Yeah. Um, God, that's so, a good idea. <laughs> well, I mean, it would have been a good idea like five, ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, our whole climate was very different back then. Yeah, you know, in, along within that time period, I mean, those forty years, we had a lot of wars going on. We had yeah. everything. Our economy was changing. <clears throat> I gotta think t- you, now that you're saying all this, it's like firing like my brain up. TV. Right. So now you've got advertisements. Mm. Now you've got yeah, all that true. stuff that's going on, like the whole like post World War Two stuff. Yeah. And like when you get the suburbs and you get the TV and the keeping up with the Joneses and all that. Now you've got, OK, the bigger breweries are like, well, we can get TV ads and we can buy up all these smaller breweries and then we can have them brew our beers there and then we can open up bigger breweries. And that, that yeah. was happening with a lot of different com- a lot of different kinds of companies. Right. And so there, there was a lot of different beer styles being consumed, like before that happened. And then as the big beer was rising, that's when you got the whole lot mass populated, like lager drinking type happening, mm. which I did see one thing of how that started. I guess it was, um, when Anheuser-Busch first started, uh, one of the guys took a trip over to Germany, I think, and tasted a beer that I think it was similar to the name Budweiser, and that's from where the name came from. Oh, like he, really? he was over there. Wait, so they weren't German, or one of them wasn't an immigrant coming over to America? No, 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 no. This guy went over there, and I, I, I forget his name. Budweiser. I'm, I'm totally <laughs> unprepared, but he drank a beer that it was called Budweiser or something, and then when he came back to because um, it was two different guys. It was Anheuser and Bush, and that's one of. I think Anheuser was the first guy, and Bush was the second guy, and then I think I think it was Bush that went over there, and he d- discovered this Bud Vice beer, and then came back and um, made Budweiser, which I think was. I don't remember. I think it was pre. I think that was pre-prohibition when when Budweiser. Yeah, it was 1876 when Budweiser first got produced. Damn. But then, obviously, that goes on to be the biggest beer in the world, or the biggest right. brand of beer in the world, yeah. essentially. Now they own, like, all the beers. Yeah. 
They own so much stuff. Speaking of marketing, with I came across this when I was sort of looking up sort of the the evolution of marketing with beer, mm. and you know we know Anheuser Busch as being one of those. I mean, they're a fuck. They're a Goliath of oh, the beer industry. Easily. I mean, even though I don't necessarily agree with their a lot of their products, mm. but it's just not for me. Um, I came across this. Um, one of the advert. This is a great advertisement. What? When is it from? So this is from nineteen oh seven. This is from. This is pre prohibition. Okay. Okay. So this is from a a Broadway musical. And this was a song created. Um, it premiered on Broadway at the Ziegfeld Follies in 1907. Okay. The song is called Budweiser is a Friend of Mine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. So the, the, the lyrics of the song, they tell this story of a man who goes out drinking in a bar. Okay. And he sings about how he prefers his Budweiser... To his wife. Oh, my God. <laughs> the reason being is because his beer does not talk back to him. Oh, man. I like it. I like it. Okay. But the funny thing is that the song concludes uh, with his wife pouring him a schooner of Budweiser at home so he does not need to drink anywhere else. Wow. That's like, so bad. Oh, it's terrible. But I mean, you got to think of the times, man. Nineteen oh seven. Yeah, yeah. It, it was definitely a different time back then. <laughs> that was a nineteen oh seven. Nineteen oh seven. Dude, that was a hundred and like ten years ago. Budweiser comes out with that, or Anheuser Busch comes out with that commercial today, and they're facing huge <laughs> oh, scandal. They would shut down. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. They're they're That's little. True. I like, they're a little too big, I think, to, for that to crush them. But I like the whole idea of like. Budweiser versus everyone else type thing. It's like it's like it's almost two teams. It's like big beer corporation versus craft beer, mm. and how like you like maybe like those times, you know, it was the that was a big boom for big corporations and beer. And yeah. now nowadays, right, it's like now there's more crafts, right? And now it's like the popular, the cool thing is to have a craft beer and not drink like a Budweiser or a Coors Light. But even then, the big beer still owns the right. market. They, they, they still buy own the market. Up. Yeah, but and you can almost tell like there's like a good beer that like it might not happen nowadays as much as it did ten years ago. But like some of the really good beers that it was that were popular, like Blue Moon was good, you know, and people liked Blue Moon. And that was like a thing. Mm. Then it like got bought out by Budweiser, I think. And then yeah, like, yeah I'm not sure. InBev might own them, but. One of one of there is some higher company that owns that yeah, brand. Right, I, I, like, I'm not sure which like, one. I it remember is. in high school liking Lenin Kugel. Yeah, as oh, like a, yeah. a young lad. Yep. And we used to love it, and now like I can't stand that stuff. It is so nasty to me. I think they're out of like, Missouri. But I think they got I bought think. out. They sold, and they got bought out, and they got like mass yeah. produced, and like the quality goes down almost yeah. when you get mass produced like that, and uh, to keep. Your stuff, like, you know, when you have, like, a smaller brewery and you can, like, keep control of your ingredients and your recipes, it has, like, a higher quality and a higher standard. And then once it's bought out by a big 
company. Not necessarily. No, I feel yeah, like no, I feel th- like that's not like necessarily true. Different. Yeah, I feel like because, the recipe gets fucked. Because okay, so there, this this can go a couple different ways. Um, it can be a good thing <laughs> for quality when it comes to being bought out by bigger beer. One of because big beer has so much money, they have all the equipment to be able to test beer. And to be able to have panels like, you know, you've got the scientific equipment, which is testing them for dissolved oxygen, testing them for any kind of infection, testing them for any imperfections in that beer recipe. And then you've also got like they've got taste panels where they'll, you know, make sure that the beer tastes good, whatever that means. Yeah. And so a little place that doesn't necessarily have all those tools and resources now gets those tools and resources of that bigger company. That being said, some of those bigger companies might want to tweak your recipe a little bit. Yeah. And then you're getting a little bit of that thing, you know, but sometimes it doesn't change. Sometimes they're just like, okay, you guys have a good, I think, now you're getting the whole thing where big beers buying out these smaller companies and being like, okay, we like these recipes because people like them and craft beer is popular now. So we want to own some of these brands. Yeah. And they take their kind of like ideas and, you know, I think so, the conspiracy theorist in me thinks like once you get bought out by a big corporation, they have like this, this like perfect equation mm. on how they sell beer and they like yeah your beer selling right now but we're also going to use our equation in your beer and manipulate it in a certain way like like if say that we had you had a successful tv show right mm-hmm. and it was doing good in your demographic and like you were getting a lot of views and then a big corporation comes to sign you yeah and then mm-hmm. now all of a sudden your show changes a little bit and you can't do the certain things that you were doing before because it might not be socially accepted or this or yeah. that. Same thing with the big beer corporations. I feel like it's you a little have, different. You want to have broader appeal right. so that you You're can sell to, more to the stuff. Masses, to more, yeah. yeah, exactly. And yeah. I, f- I feel like every time, in my opinion, every time I like a beer or mm. if it's like a popular, every time a big corporation buys it, it's a little sweeter. It's a little fucking sweeter. Like will, they just put a little bit more sugar in it yeah, to get yeah. you to like it. Yeah. I will say, uh, so I know from examples, mm. so I have a bias towards this. So if 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 I know that Heineken comes over and buys up uh, Lagunitas mm. or uh, the Anheuser-Busch company comes up and buys out Magic Hat, whatever it is, if I... F- if I know that this small craft brewery is no longer a small craft brewery is mm. now owned by the big boys. Yeah. Immediately I stop drinking it. Yeah. I get turned off. Yeah. Same. Easily turned off. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's the product just like doesn't change. Mm. I don't mm. believe the product changes, yeah. but in my head, I'm already like, you know what? Mm. I'm good, man. Yeah. yeah. You just have something in you that you're against big business. Or, yeah. like, you want to help the little guy out. Oh, for you know? sure. For sure. But nowadays, that shit's fucking hard. Because, I mean, this is going off on a crazy tangent, mm. but you're almost, like, forced to, like, go on Amazon or Wal- like Amazon's Walmart. Amazon's the new Walmart. Yeah. yeah. Like, and people, like, were against Walmart. And mm-hmm. you could you could almost avoid going to Walmart. 
Like, you could, like, oh, I don't need to go to Walmart. Yeah. I could go to another store, and it wouldn't be hard. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but now Amazon owns fucking almost if you, everything. If you, there was this. And that's um, the biggest business of them all, you know? Yeah, yeah. There was this graphic um, that I, I came across a couple years ago. I think it was, like, in one of my nutrition classes or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it, it looked at all the food companies. Mm-hmm. And if you looked at all the brands out there, all different types of foods. Mm-hmm. They're really, truly all owned by like three big corporations. Yeah, yeah. It was like Kraft, Kraft, Procter and Gamble, yeah. and like some other corporation. And like, but yeah, you go exactly. down this crazy rabbit hole with those guys. Like in the end, like it all is big business. It's crazy, yeah. and we hope that that doesn't happen. You're seeing it start to happen now. Like the big boys in in beer are buying. Or either buying stakes in a lot of these successful smaller craft breweries, um, but a, a lot of the stat resource, um, stat information that I got on the number of breweries in America, uh, I found right on the Brewers Association website. Which anybody you don't need you don't need a membership to gain access to these statistics. You can just go to the Brewers Association, and they basically have a list of every brewery in the United States and what that brewery's classification is and what the percentage is of ownership that Big Beer has in those uh, breweries. So you can see, like, Brewery X is owned 25% or more by Anheuser-Busch or, or whatever. So if you don't want to support these bigger companies, you can look if your favorite local brewery just happens to be owned in part you find by them. Out that you know, Anheuser Busch owns all of your favorite beers. You're like, <laughs> fuck. Yeah, I mean, but that it depends on what you want. Like, if you yeah. don't agree with Anheuser Busch and their practices or their company, or you just want to support, you know, local breweries, you can do that. Um, but it, it's it's it is a good resource if you want to yeah. take that extra step. You know. So here's here's something I found out that. So, I mean, I think this is a good segue over to contract brewing. Mm. Contract brewing. Yeah. Um, So, you kind of notice this, like like you said before, craft brewing is hot. Mm. It's hot. Um, And so, you start to notice the the climate has changed since when we started drinking craft beer till now. Mm. It feels like the accessibility is much higher nowadays with local craft beers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go into any sort of local beer store, um, whatever it is, and you're going to find more of your region, regional craft beers. You don't even sale. need to go to craft beer stores now. You can go to your grocery oh, store, yeah. Yeah. anything. Like you used to have to go to specialty stores to find craft beer. Sure. Now, there's like now, a you, whole aisle now you can of get just anywhere. Beer. If, yeah. if, if your state allows the sale of beer in gas stations, you can go to any gas station. And even if they only have like two coolers, you're at least going to be able to get a Sierra Nevada or something. You're right. going to have some kind of craft beer in there. But even your local craft beer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's um, with this whole thing with contract brewing. Um, so for those of you who don't know what contract brewing is, it's essentially where a craft brewer will employ resources, equipment, and labor of other breweries to make beer. Okay, so essentially 
these craft brewers wouldn't own their own physical breweries, but they will hire another brewery to produce its beer. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, I mean, I guess you could say like another scenario could also be like a brewery will hire another brewery to make the beer that wouldn't otherwise they'd have room to brew at their own facility. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so let me just restate that real quick. Sure. So you've got sure. two con- like two major scenarios in contract brewing. You've got one uh, company that doesn't own any brewery. They just have a brand. They have recipes. And then they'll have a bigger brewery that has the capacity, brew that beer for them. And then the person that owns that beer company will market it, will do the sale, all that stuff, where the brewery will handle all the manufacturing and packaging of that beer. Then you've got the second scenario, which Justin explained, where you've got a brewery that makes their own beer, has their own recipes, but they're and maybe they're catching fire and they're they're getting a lot of sales but they don't have the equipment and the capacity to brew enough beer so they'll go to a bigger brewery and then give them one or two or however many of their more selling recipes and have them brew it at a larger scale so that they can distribute more of their beer so are people afraid of like giving out their recipes though not really no not really not not really nowadays they're never like afraid that like oh this beer is so good we need to make more and then like they can just take that recipe i think there's some there there's i think there's a handful of those breweries that are super tight about their exact process and recipes yeah. but i'm sure there's a paper trail to sort of follow them back to that's their own original recipes and you'd be stealing oh, from yeah, that yeah if you were a brewery that like you would have a contract with whatever your contract brewery is that you don't share your recipes with other. Right. Con- if it would you, be in the print. Yeah. If you're, if you're like, cause there's these facilities that exist that are just big breweries that don't brew any of their own beer. They only brew contract beer, but they have their own employees that will follow your recipe and make that beer. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And they, I'm sure, well, some of them might have non-disclosure agreements. Some of them might, who knows how technical it is, but yeah. So, <clears throat> Um, I, you know, I got a couple scenarios for you. I want you to sort of plug in if, if any, I mean, you've had extensive experience in the field based, given what you've seen, you visited, I mean, how many breweries have you worked in, stopped by? I mean, <laughs> so I in mean, the Northeast, I mean, it's yeah, hundreds. It, it, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I want I'm gonna throw a couple your way. I want to see if there's anything that you can sort of relate this to, any style of contract brewing. Um, if you could give me some examples. Mm. So, um, there's a scenario where like a a a brand would contract their entire product. Okay, so the beer recipe, the labels, the packaging, you know, they make it seem like it's a craft brewery. But it doesn't actually exist. Have you come in, con- in contact with anything like that? Um, I know. <clears throat> I think, like in my own personal experience of stuff that I've seen and not just heard about, I, I know there was this one company, or there, there's a couple of these companies that are that are nomad breweries. Okay. So they they don't actually have. Like a, a brick and mortar. They don't have a brick and mortar place, but they go around to a bunch of different breweries in certain regions. Um, I think um, Evil Twin Brewing. 
They they may have their own facility now, but I I'm not I, I'm but I'm not Dude, quite I sure. I remember Evil Twin. They had some good beers. Yeah, uh, they but that they had and weird beer. beer. Yeah, the peanut butter and jelly. Yes, but. Uh, uh, I, I, remember that I haven't shit. looked into them recently, but I knew at one point Evil Twin was all nomad. So they would like, I forget the guy's name. Forgive me for not knowing my beer history, but um, the guy who started uh, Evil Twin, it, it, basically a brand, and he would go to all these different breweries and have his recipes and have them brewed at all these different facilities across the country and then distributed locally. So that he could get his beer pretty much anywhere. So those breweries would do all the pa- packaging, they would do, everything, they distribution. Would, they would brew the beer. They would package the beer, and then I don't know who handles the distribution in that sense because that's a whole other topic. Is the whole the distribution. way di- distribution works yeah. in the three tier system, the two tier system? Like a, a documentary called like Beer Wars or something. Yes, that was about distribution. That yeah, that was there was a big part of that. Like getting like just getting a good shelf spot. Yeah. So that's a. So I want to. I want to come back to yeah, that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get back to that. That's actually. That's a huge point. Yeah. For sure. Uh, yeah. I watching that video. So I know but. Evil Twin was a nomad brewery. There's a handful of others. I think, at least in our Northeast region, I I thought Clown Shoes used to be one, but now they're owned <laughs> by Harpoon. Um, oh. and like what, the the brand did, is owned by Harpoon essentially. Really? Did yeah. Evil Twin make a beer that was like? Shit, it was like chocolate beer. They made like 18 chocolate beers, dude. God, they had one, though, like, I don't know, never mind. It was like Wicked Chocolate or Evil. I don't yeah. know. I remember getting at a certain place. Gina loved that beer. Was, yep. um, correct me if I'm wrong, um, like, like the beer, like the Shock Top brand. That's, I'm pretty sure, that's owned Anheuser by. That's Anheuser-Busch, right? A, yeah, they A, own that. And Bev. Yeah, yeah, they own Shock Top, yeah. So that's not necessarily like. That would would that be another example? Like they don't have their own. I don't think there's a brewery called Shop no, Top Brewery. No, this it's, is... it's just a brand. There may have been back in the day, but I don't really know the origins of Shock Top. Right. All I know is that it started appearing everywhere. Yeah. Yes, and I think so. If my inference would be that um, Shock Top was InBev's like response to Blue Moon being popular. Yeah, because they okay. made that because that it's, Belgian it's, white. it's kind of yeah. It's like shock top is a Belgian wit with orange. It's like kind of yeah. because I don't think um, Blue Moons. It's not owned, owned by, by InBev. I, I don't think. Okay, I think they might be owned by somebody else. Well, what about PBR? PBR. Oh, PBR. The I, coolest the beer hipster ever. beer. Dude, I actually read a little bit about PBR today. Do they have their own brewery or is it? Mm. As far as I know, they don't. And there was this whole scandal recently, whether or not you call it scandal or whatever. But um, I think it was Miller Coors that was doing the um, the majority of brewing for Pabst. Okay? okay. So Pabst is a company. They exist. They don't have their own brewery. I think they're located in California. Um and they have like a storied history. They like brought up, they were a brewery back in the day. The whole blue ribbon thing, like the origins of that was they used to put blue ribbons like on their bottles. Like it was a whole silk blue ribbon that they would actually put oh, around the neck of the bottle. <laughs> and um, then during World War II, World War One, it was one of the, it was either World War One or World War Two. there was a silk shortage. So they stopped putting the blue ribbons on the bottles, and then they brought it back like after the war. <laughs> it, it was all done. <laughs> it's a weird fun fact about Paps, but um, and then Paps went on to 
buy a bunch of other brands that were defunct. Like they owned Ballantine and oh. like 14 or 15 other like brands like is under the Pabst company name. Really? Um, but their biggest thing is Pabst Blue Ribbon and it's mostly brewed by I'm pretty sure it's Miller Coors. And um, I don't know. It was a couple weeks. Is Miller and Coors the same company? Miller Coors is a company. I think yeah. Molson too. Molson yeah, Coors. I too. can't keep. I can't keep track of any of these anymore. Um, so I. I just read that. So Blue Moon is a Canadian company. Okay. It's Canadian beer. Yeah. And and now it's owned by Coors, but it's Molson Coors, and Molson is obviously a Canadian. Oh jeez. Is that Canadian All right. beer? So there's a lot of. It's crazy. There's but a lot, like it's yeah. just like the food thing though. Like, yeah. You know, you, you start going down and going mm-hmm. up the ladder and you find out like almost all the beers are owned by like three big yeah. beer companies. So that, that yeah, that's interesting. So but Molson, yeah, Miller, and Coors are all one big conglomerate. Probably. So the whole, yeah, the whole Pabst thing, they, they uh, Miller was saying, oh, we don't have the capacity to brew Pabst brand anymore. So then I, I, I haven't heard the follow up to it. Did you did you see that at all? Like what the follow up to that whole thing was? No, I didn't. I okay. didn't look too far into that. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to check that out. But there was they were threatening to like stop brewing it, and there was this whole like revolt that happened. <laughs> well, the, hip, the, hipster. the hipsters yeah. down in Jamaica Plain would be pissed. Yeah. So I don't know if if that was a marketing stunt or whatever it was. We'll have to we'll have to look into that though. I drank that shit, but I only drank it because I was broke and I could get all the quarters in my pocket and I could buy like a twelve pack of PBR for like seven ninety nine. <laughs> it was like the loose ones too. It wasn't in a box. It was just like the loose sleeved ones and like that dolphin killer um, plastic oh, rings. Yeah. And I'd get those. It was like, it was literally like $7 for a 12 pack or an 18 pack. Oh, I remember that. My broke yeah. beer choice was uh, that old Kenny Lipton there, that Keystone Light. Oh boy. Keystone I Light. hated it, man. I hated it. I but. feel like, I don't know why, but uh, Coors... Is Keystone and Coors the same thing? I don't know, dude. I don't know. I don't know either, but I think I used to hear a joke that said uh, Keystone was just every dented Coors Light. So every time a Coors Light Light can got dented, they just put a Keystone label on it. And there's a joke that like any Keystone can, there'd be a little dent somewhere in the can you could find. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. So that, I mean, cans... All those are printed cans. Printed yeah. cans are manufactured before they get filled. They don't get printed on right. after they're filled. But that definitely is a thing where there's a lot of brands that will be repackaged as the same beer. So you could have... Yeah, they just have a huge vat and they fill it up and they just start filling the same beer with a different with logo With a different on logo on it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That that's definitely a thing. My dad works for a cereal company, and all he does is package cereal all fucking day. Yeah, and you'll get like a really nice cereal, like Newman's Own organic cereal, right? But they're not gonna make one cereal, box it all up, and when it's empty, they go and make a new cereal. They just make the same cereal in a huge vat, and every time they, you know, they do their quota with like Newman's Own, then they'll go and get their their own. Or their own brand and fill the rest with theirs. Yeah, and that's they sell a, that's it for a super, half the price. It's a are super common business practice. My frosted mini wheats are the same as frosted mini spooners. Goddamn right. <laughs> oh, man. Man. It's the same exact thing. You're paying for the label, dude. Yeah, yeah. And Bra- that's no, with every food. But branding, yeah, bread, like everything. Yeah. Especially with the, 
everything you buy. That's why generic brands like don't be you, don't be afraid. Don't yeah. don't shy away it's from that. It's the same thing. It's made in the same place. Go look at the label. And it'll say manufactured at this store, and then if it's a, this manufactured at that store too, yep. it's a similar store. It's you know same ingredients. Yeah, same. You know, it's the same exact product, yeah. just in a different box. Yes. And you're paying the three dollars. You're extra. paying for a brand. You're paying you know? for that brand. So especially cereals, dude. Yeah. That's only a personal experience. My dad told me he's like, yeah. dude, don't ever buy an expensive cereal. Like they're literally the same thing, yeah. just in a different box. So. Um, I wonder if do you think that beer is that's the same thing with beer? I know for a fact it's yeah. the same thing with beer. Yeah. So if I bought a if I bought a Keystone, it's literally Coors Light. I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Yeah. But I know for a fact that beers get relabeled as the same exact beer gets relabeled and, and sold it, under it, a different brand. It'd be diff, it might be cheaper, right? Potentially, yeah. Depending yeah. on what the branding is. Give an example. Um, <laughs> Because of my involvement in the industry, <laughs> I don't want to give out too many ah, examples. Okay. But I have, you know, personal, uh, you know, knowledge that yes, that is a common practice. Just like it is in a bunch of businesses, mm-hmm. anything, TVs, you know, air conditioners, bread, cereals—they all do it. Every like major manufacturing facilities rebrand the same product as the same thing. You know, I, I same when I was in engineering and I worked for that that router company. You would buy, you could buy, um, you know, wireless routers that were the same exact product and they would slap like three different labels on them and sell them to as this different brands, but they're the same exact product. And they would sell for different prices. Like it's better than the other. Sure. Or they would disable a certain feature in that one and sell it as a different model, but it's the same exact thing. I have a TV that I bought recently. I'm not going to tell you the brand because I don't want to get sued on episode (laughs) one, but I bought a TV for like 300 bucks at the store at a cheap store and and literally it's the same TV that you could buy for $500 I bought for 250 and all they do is like disable something in the motherboard so you can't utilize it oh yeah and it's like what the fuck is the point yep just just utilize it you know so like now my cheaper TV it doesn't pick up my router as good as if it was like switched on almost. Mm. So it picks up the Wi-Fi crappier than it would if you spent $500 on the same TV. And I have to like all, I have to constantly like redo my router just so I can like stream. Mm. Like Netflix is a smart TV. So I like stream Netflix and Hulu on it. And I always have to like fuck with the the Wi-Fi to get it to go. So annoying. But it's just a simple like, I read all about it and it's like, all it is is a certain like um, chip in there that it's not being utilized 100%. They mm-hmm. just like disable it a little bit. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck is the point? You know, make a good product, sell it for cheap, <laughs> and people will buy it. Hey, more. man, it's not the American way. Yeah. No. Ugh, it gets me so mad. Plus, you have economy of scale involved. Yeah, it's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. That's, a, that's a whole other <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> so, back to this uh, <clears throat> contract brewing. So, um, Another scenario would be that some brewers can contract labor and equipment only, and then the focus primarily on recipe development and acquiring ingredients like ingredient vendors. So you would essentially contract out so that brewery would do all the labor, provide all the equipment, but your brand would still do recipe development and acquiring its own ingredients. Mm -hmm. Have you stumbled across anything like that? 
Uh, yeah, but I can't think of any specific examples off the top of my head. Okay. If I sat down and I was more prepared, sure. But yeah, that that definitely there's more. There are some contract brewers that will just be like, "All right, take we want an I brew us an IPA. We want to slap a label on it." And then some of them will be like, um, some of them like a lot of really good brewers will use contract brewing as a stepping stone to getting their own brewery. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yes. So what they'll do is they'll, they might start home brewing and then figure out, okay, how do I scale this recipe up? And then I want to contract my brand through a brewery and then test, use it as like a, a, a proof of concept essentially. So you, you have your recipe, you have your brand, you have, you control the ingredients and all this stuff. You have this contract brewer. And in some cases you may even go into that facility, oversee the process, how it's going, ensure that it's going well. And then once your product gets out into the market, if it does well, now you've got your proof of concept to show to investors, all that. So you can get your own facility and then open up your own place. Yes. So exactly. So it, it is a, if you are a, low, a small time home brewer, you've got a great product, you know, it's a great product, but you don't have the, the money, the funds to back it up. Mm-hmm. You can contract it out to a, like a brick and mortar brewery who has the equipment, has the labor, has the storage tanks, everything. Mm-hmm. And you just go ahead and contract out your product. Yeah. You'll be paying the brewery who's doing all the work for you, you gotta, you're going to pay them a handsome price. Yeah. But you're not plagued with all the extra sort of, you know, bills and debt of having to run this whole facility. Mm-hmm. And you could, like, kind of slowly save money. Yeah. So what, you give them a certain percentage of the sales or you exactly. just give them an upfront I mean, depending cash. on what the contract is. I mean, if you're business yeah. and sell, they lose out, so they're not going to take the risk that I, way. I think the way it usually works is you pay them to make this beer for you, like a price. Yeah. And then it's your job to sell it. Okay. Unless... So they'll make you the beer, give you all the beer, and then you give them the money, and then you're like, good luck selling it. Yeah. I think there are some arrangements that can be made where you have them do the selling or them... but, But you probably... You typically probably don't want to do that because now you're putting your product in their hands for them right. to sell and they're probably worried about selling their own product. Right. You know? So they're going to make sure they sell their shit first before you. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Or not necessarily, you know, depending on the company, but there, there's so many breweries now it's, you know, you know, that's such a weird thing. Cause you're, all you're doing really is trying to sell your recipe when there's millions of recipes out there. And I don't know. Yeah. It's a it, tough thing. You gotta like, it's a, it's a tough market. Definitely is. Uh, so, um, I to to kind of wrap up my research in the the brief history of like how many breweries um, there've been in the United States. Um, so in 1979, we had 90 breweries total. Okay. Um, interestingly enough, at this time where all of these giant craft breweries were booming and they were consolidating and becoming the behemoths that they are, that's when like craft beer got its beginnings. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so um, there was this company uh, called New Albion Brewing, and they were the first microbrewery to open up in the United States post-prohibition. And that happened in 1976. 
Damn, it's a long time after Prohibition. I know, right? So um, New and New Albion didn't do too well. <laughs> they only actually lasted for about seven years, but they have been noted as like one of the first microbreweries to kind of kickstart the whole revolution. And they were like trying different things and different weird ingredients and stuff. They a little bit, yeah. Um, and they they inspired guys like Ken Grossman, who started Sierra Nevada, yep. to start his company. And then all around that same time, you also had um, home brewing, which was made legal in 1978. Oh, damn. Really? Yeah, exactly. So that shit wasn't legal. You couldn't just make your own beer at home you, before that? You could, illegally. <laughs> but it was illegal. But it was illegal, yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. Because, like, a big company could. You'd have to get licenses. Is that what you're saying? Maybe. I don't know if you need a, I just don't think you could homebrew. It just wasn't a thing that was legal. Guys were doing it, definitely. Um, Because New Albion, I'm pretty sure the guy at New Albion was homebrewing before he started it. stores to go and buy beer ingredients. No, not until it was made legal. So you had to find your yeast and you had to go and find your grain and your hops. Yeah. Probably growing your own hops. You could get those different ingredients like in, in, um, so I, I, it was a few years ago, but I read Ken Grossman's book the guy from Sierra and he talked about like the beginnings of, you know, starting to homebrew. And when you had to go and get ingredients, like you would go to these like local homebrew shops, which had old hops and everything. And the, the ingredients just all dried out and gross. They, they weren't nearly as good as what they were, but they were available. And like, yeah. um, so around that time where big beer is becoming big beer, you've got craft brewer. The, the interest is starting to, do right. different things because basically craft beer is making a bunch of lagers and people wanted to go back to the old school styles of, well, I mean, lagers are kind of old school too, but ales were predominantly more popular before lagers were. So people were going into these older styles like India pale ales and stouts and porters and like starting to do research into these Belgian beers and German beers. So now you've got the, the first um, beginnings of craft brewers starting in the the late 70s early 80s mid 80s late 80s with home brewing being made legal in the late 70s and people pushing boundaries with just trying different crazy recipes you know you've got publications like Zimmergy which is you know the American Homebrewers Association's um you know uh magazine and it's just this perfect storm of the rising popularity of homebrew and the rising popularity of craft brew just feeding each other, which um, has like snowballed today and created the massive amount of microbreweries that we have today. And just the awareness of oh, craft sure, beer and microbreweries, sure. you know. So um, in uh, 79, you had 90 breweries. OK. In 1990. You had 284, all right? Mm-hmm. Now it gets nuts after that. That was like the big boom. This is where the boom... So you had that first... I'd say like the first wave of craft breweries was probably that late 70s, early 80s, or like 80s period. Then in the early 90s, you get that second that second boom where you're getting your stones, your victories, your dogfish, the, that big you know yeah. thing. So by 2000, you've got over 1,500 breweries, okay? So you're talking about, like, in a period of 10 years, you're, what, like, times five of what you had? Now it's even going up even more. Um, By 2015, okay, 15 years later, 
you've got 4,500 breweries. That's okay, crazy. so now you're at Tripled. that. Now you're at that point that was like pre-prohibition, like yeah. the biggest amount of breweries there were pre-prohibition. So now just wait, another prohibition's coming around. <laughs> Legalizing <Right>? of weed. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So as of 2017, um, because we're at the end of uh, you know 2018 here, so we don't have the full stats. But as spoiler of, alert, yeah, right there. Yeah, exactly. So at the um, as of 2017. You had six thousand three hundred and seventy-two holy crap breweries in America, in the United States of America. That's a lot, which is crazy. Yeah, like you look at the 6, graphs. Six thousand yeah. just spiked. Yeah, it's insane. With every with every uh, line graph, doesn't it eventually peak and then fall again? Is something crazy going to happen? Who knows, man? Who knows? This is my theory that I just made up. Yep. Now that marijuana is becoming a new new thing and states are starting to legalize it, marijuana is going to get big and people are going to stop drinking and there's going to be a drop in beer and craft beers and then they're going to be dwindling again. Not dwindling, but they're going to lower from maybe 7,000. It'll peak and it'll go down to like 45, maybe. I think you're going to start to see some of the weaker brands <laughs> die in off the, in, in the companies that are up to snuff with their quality and keeping up with the times. I think you're going to start to see some of those kind of drop off. Um, but yeah, who knows, man? Only, only, knows? The, only the future can tell. <laughs> That'd be crazy, right? It would be pretty crazy. But yeah, I mean, we could go into a whole nother podcast about how the, just the craft beer boom in and of itself, all the different things, all the breweries that helped each other get to the point that they are now. Um, the whole how home brewing ties into that, and how the you know those two, like the amateur level and the professional level, fed off each other. Um, I mean, that's how we got this boom. That's how we're at that yeah. number that we are today. Is yep. It's home brews. It's 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 craft brewers. It's like it's and it's like now with the internet, you can share your ideas and share your styles and your methods of brewing where you can teach people way faster now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like back in the 70s, there wasn't the internet. You were learning from books or other people teaching you exactly. and you methods. And if you weren't one of those crazy guys who are just constantly trying out new methods and new ways, yep. you know, you were just another guy brewing the same beer. Exactly. Like, oh, I'm built, this is a, a Budweiser clone. Yeah. You know, this is another Pilsner that I'm making. You know, it was like, this is how you make a pilsner. This is how you make a lager, whatever. Mm -hmm. This is how you make an ale. And there was just like probably a, now there's hundreds and thousands of recipes. Oh, yeah. Every different kind of style and every, you know. So with that internet boom, maybe yeah. it, it boomed. Definitely. I knowledge, mean, you know, there's all of sorts everything. of forums you can go on to yeah. see recipe. People will help you out. Like, oh, I'm Clone trying to do this. Recipes. Clone recipes. Like, oh, I want, I'm trying to develop this recipe. This is what I thought. Like, guys, give me some feedback. And they what get should so I do? in depth with it, too. Yeah. They're like, oh, make sure you always check your pH. Make sure your minerals yep. are up, you know. There's a lot of passionate, this like, crazy people that one. In, in the. In, in everything, yeah. almost. No, in everything. And that's, like, this is kind of bringing it full circle to, like, the thirst for knowledge, you know? Yeah. Like, this is, like, one of the reasons we wanted to start this podcast. Like, many people want to start breweries is because we had a crazy idea. Like, we found something that, you know, we're passionate about, like, spreading, you know, what will hopefully be useful information to people. And also, like... You know, entertaining people, maybe. <laughs> you know? We'll definitely entertain. This was a little drier than 
probably in the future. Hey, man, don't apologize. But this is episode one, baby. Yeah. yeah. Wait for episode 10. It's going to be crazy entertainment. Yeah. Don't apologize. Yeah, don't episode apologize. 10, we're going to have Justin take the uh, the rubber bands off a lobster with his teeth. It's yeah. going to be nuts. It will happen. How many yeah. ghost peppers can he rub happen. in his eyes? <laughs> you know, I got up to 10. I'm going to try to hit the 20 mark. <laughs> I'll keep you guys updated about how big my onions are growing. I'm going to break the world record for the biggest onion. Yeah. We will do this. You know, we'll be making more beers, trying new beers. Yep. We've got all sorts uh, of shit, man. We've got, you know, coffee to talk about. We've got. I got um, 16 pounds of coffee in the mail yesterday. Exactly. 16 pounds. That's a lot of coffee. That's like a year's worth of coffee. <laughs> I got to try them all. Yeah, we got 23 and me coming yeah. down the pike. Um, see our genetics. I did see not how... participate in said genetics, no. but I will explain why yeah. at that episode. You can make fun of us for, you know, all sorts of... We're going to go through some nostalgia uh, pastime shit we did in school and high school and middle school. And if you guys can relate to the 90s and yep. whatever else, you know, we got all sorts of stuff. Yeah, we uh, we we definitely get some people in mind for guests. That that'll be fun. Um, yeah, good guests coming on. Yeah, professional fishermen maybe, maybe some uh, professional brewers. Yeah, you know maybe some nutritionists. Maybe you know whatever. For yeah. sure. For yeah, sure. definitely. Well, thanks everybody for uh, listening to the first episode. Um, it's definitely exciting for us, uh, and we'll see see where this all goes. It's been a long journey to get to this step. Yes. You know? Yeah. A lot of trial and error. <laughs> All right. Peace All right. out. On that note. Peace out, Girl Scout. Peace. All right. Uh, I hope you guys just enjoyed the uh, podcast about the history of beer. Episode one. Mm. Uh, episode one of the Thirst for Knowledge podcast. Um, uh, at this part of the podcast, we're going to do a little bit of fact checking. Um, this might not be for every episode, but we do want to be putting good information out there. So um, on our episodes that are a little bit more uh, knowledge based or we're trying to explain some part of history or some kind of crazy thing. Informative. Info yeah. On our informational ones, we want to make sure that we're, you know, not, uh, we don't want to mislead. Anyone. Yeah. We don't want to mislead anybody. Obviously when you're having long conversations like this, we can't sit here and Google everything we say. We're going partly off of memory, even though we research stuff a lot, everybody makes mistakes. We're human. Um, but we do want to put out good information. So, on some of these episodes, we're going to do the fact check. So, so what do you have for us today? Today, um, <clears throat> I was going through the episode and found a couple things. We had asked a couple questions that, to each other that we didn't know the answers to. Um, one of them, I, I couldn't really find the answer, <laughs> but who started Corona? We, we might have said like some Mexican guy came, <laughs> no, some German guy oh came God. over from Mexico. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I tried to look it up a little bit. I found Corona's owned by a bigger brand. I think they were around in the early 20s, but I couldn't really find that answer. Um, some of the other stuff was who owned some breweries. Um, we talked about Blue Moon. They are owned by Miller Coors. Um, we mentioned Leinenkugel. Uh, I think I had misspoke about where they were from, but they're actually based out of Wisconsin. 
and coincidentally also a subsidiary of Miller Coors. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, we talked a little bit about Shock Top, and they're a brand owned by AB InBev, um, who is was kind of created as an answer to Blue Moon, which I think we touched upon a little bit in the podcast. Um, we talked about Magic Hat a little bit. It might have been stated that we uh, thought AB InBev own them, but they're owned by a group called North American Brewers, <clears throat> North American Breweries, and um, they also own a handful of other breweries such as Labatt USA, Genesee, and Pyramid. Um, Get that Genesee cream ale, son. Oh yeah, Jenny Cream, baby. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so another thing was uh, when I was looking up uh, some of the stuff about PBR, uh, Paps Blue Ribbon. Um, when there was the whole debate about when Miller Coors said that they were going to stop brewing, um, PBR, there was question, well, hey, is Anheuser-Busch going to do it? But a fun fact, apparently Anheuser-Busch doesn't do contract brewing, which is something I didn't know. And I came across today when I was doing the fact check. Um, that's, that's pretty much it for the brewery stuff. Uh, I know at the end of the episode, I said craft beer a couple times when I actually meant to say big beer. That's kind of a... You know what you meant. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a little bit of a big mistake. But um, yeah, so if that just sounds weird, that that's why I was just misspeaking. I mean, you all probably know that James was yawning quite a bit throughout the podcast. because <laughs> I was so sleepy. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're sorry about that. But um, we hoped that the episode was mostly enjoyable for you guys and informative and um in the future if anyone notices any mistakes definitely get in contact with us with our personal phone numbers will pull out <laughs> soon <laughs> um via any you know our social media once we get that going so that we can um uh address those mistakes to you know factual stuff at either during the fact check or at our intro we will address them as good as possible, but uh, yeah, let us know what you think of the podcast so far. If you like it, leave a comment. If it sucks, leave a comment. Download, uh, download, subscribe. Yeah, give us those five star reviews. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, thanks everybody, and um, yeah, that's episode one. Adios. Sausage candles.